Hello and welcome to All Villa No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team who lived up to that billing against Brentford. Three goals inside the first 14 minutes, setting the Villa on their way to a 4-0 win. It certainly looked like a team liberated after 11 months under Steven Gerrard. So if there isn't a statue to Aaron Danks written to the Villa Park redevelopment plans by the end of this podcast, I'll be spearheading a petition myself. Uh, Frankie, you up for that? Oh, absolutely. I've already signed on completely. So yeah. it's got 10,000 signatures already. <laughs> it has, it's true. So, uh, so how have you been? Uh, yeah, not bad. I'm uh, I'm just in a state of complete and utter shock at what I've witnessed today with Aston Villa. Um, wow. Liberation. You mentioned it, the word liberated. Mm. That is exactly how I feel watching Villa today. It's the uh, it's been it's been the most significant liberation since D-Day. It's it's the storming of the Bastille. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is. It's like we've all been held prisoner for 11 months mm. by the most turgid, boring football possible, and we've all just torn these shackles apart like Le Miserable or something. Um, you know, like uh, you're, 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 you're struggling. You're struggling for words here, Frankie. I can, I, yeah. can, I can tell. It's sort of like you're in. You are in shock. It's like when you've been in a bad relationship and you've just decided. You know what? Actually breaking up now i'm gonna dye my hair get my hair cut i'm gonna start wearing skinny jeans again that don't fit me anymore because i've got love handles um you know go out on broad street in birmingham and uh you know try try and see if i can play it's just, it's just a different person like you're free of yeah. like a, a terrible relationship and um that's what it was it was absolutely extraordinary in that they played a formation Aaron Dank, Mr. Danks, as I know Mr. Him. Mr. Mr. Danks, yeah. Mr. Danks and his assistant, Mr. Please. McPhee. Yeah. They played a formation that was what all Villa fans have been screaming out for for quite a long time. Yeah. They started players that Villa fans have been screaming out for. They dropped players that Villa fans have been screaming out for. So my conclusion to this is that Aston Villa's fans as a collective should now apply for the Aston Villa job. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And we go down be- in history as the greatest managerial team ever. It's like a co-op. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. It was, it was, um, it was an, a, a, an amazing performance, and obviously, uh, result. So, Frankie, talk, talk me through it. Talk me through it. Well, you, you're there. You're watching it. What did, what did you make of the, the goals, the, the, the performance, the play? What? Talk, talk me through it. Every single player was liberated. I, I keep using that. It, it's just what it was. They were free. You know, all season long. And for 11 months, pretty much, bar for, you know, a few spells, we've been watching players who've been playing within themselves, players who are just kind of, you know, tactically set up in a way that the the, the front three look isolated, don't know what they're doing. The defence just pass it back and forth to each other, like in the Simpsons, over and over and over again, and don't know how to get it out of midfield. There's never transitions. Today, everything we've been missing for 11 months was there. And in, in, in it was visible. And suddenly you realise that, you know, you've got pundits who are saying, well, you know, Aston Villa squad's not good enough. You know, prominent pundits saying this. And it's like, no, actually, Villa squad is good enough to challenge the top half. Mm. They've just been he- held back by a managerial approach that doesn't work. And constantly, we've been saying this all season, since that debacle at Bournemouth on the first day of the season, something has to give, something's got to change here. And today, they played a formation that plays to the strengths of the players. So 
you know what one of the smarter things that Danks did today was he played two he played two people out on the wing and he put Watkins who was right footed out on the right and they put Bailey who I kind of think of him as both footed really he's quite comfortable on his left and his right mm. out on the left and they clung to the touchline and suddenly for the first time in a million years Villa had width and that caught Brentford out cold because Brentford obviously approached us thinking like Villa playing arrow you know we have players who cling to the touchlines and we can just hit them and hurt them out in, the, in out wide but the thing is we then in the middle played a 4-2-3-1 so we had that double pivot of Douglas Louise being liberated mm-hmm. to play just ahead of Dendonka who was playing that kind of the strong physical midfielder that we've been lacking for a zillion years in yeah. there which then Dendonka's presence reassured the defence but also it meant that the attackers were liberated to just be a bit more free mm-hmm. right and Douglas Louise was then able to push forward and if this was if this was uh, Steven Gerrard's uh, decision he would have playing this formation he would have picked John McGinn ahead of Douglas Louise now we all love John McGinn because he's been an amazing servant to Aston Villa. But it's quite clear that this captaincy thing has not really helped him. It's just become a bit of a burden to him. And he's not been playing well this season. And I don't think that John McGinn, in that position that Louise played today, is technically as comfortable on the ball as Douglas Louise is. Yeah, he's and, not- I don't, and Douglas Louise is not only a good tackler, but on the ball, his transitional play is really good there's a reason mm. he's played for brazil um and today we finally got to see louise playing in a role that we've been screaming out for and you know when kamara comes back kamara can play in the dendonka role and you know dendonka that we're quite well set there in that in that role and then Irobinum comes back next season as well um and then buendia was liberated buendia started in the way that all villa fans have been screaming for all season and uh you know in fairness to and 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 um Ings looked looked uh, liberated and free. Watkins looked, you know, um, better. He scored. Um, Bailey was exceptional, to be honest, yeah. to him. And there's not player a player I can really fault today. The only player I can fault, in all honesty, was Coutinho when he came on the pitch because I thought Villa's, you know, four and a look now. You're coming on from Buendia. Go and show to us why you are a player that Barcelona spent 100 zillion quid for. And he didn't do it. He looked off it. The pace was off it. Now, is he upset Gerard's gone? I don't know. Um, but he's not been at it for a while now. And he, he's starting to look more and more like a questionable signing. Mm. It already looks like one. But um, Buendia, the player that we've been screaming out for to start, did it. And he and he did exactly what you wanted. It's only one game. Newcastle next week is going to be a much sterner test. Yeah. But that is exactly what Villa had to do today. They had to get a result. And they did it. Fair play to every single player there and fair play to the coach and stuff. It was it was excellent. Yeah, it really was. I mean, if we touch on Bailey, first of all, because he yeah. was uh, exceptional, as you, as you say. Be- his best game in a Villa shirt, I think, even surpassing his blitzkrieg cameo against uh, Everton last yeah. season. Um, yeah. As you say, playing in his natural position, out wide, stretching the defence, uh, kind of the whole chalk on his boots style. I mean, he literally did have chalk on his boots for the assist for, the, for Watkins' goal. Um, that that you know, was a Grealish run. That, yeah, that to it, me it was, was like, if, if Leon Bailey's capable of this and he was able to do it more consistently, it, mm. what an asset he would be. Yeah, you, you, can, you, you can see why his stepdad was, you know, <laughs> just, just 
is so so sort of annoyed with Gerard for not playing him in his kind of normal position because that is what he can do as a winger. He is a winger. That's what he does. Okay, he might not be, um, you know, that uh, he doesn't might not have that ability to play in different positions, um, which is you know not not a, not a great thing to have in a in a modern player. But as a winger, he looks the business. So let's play him as a winger then, because um, that's what he can do. Uh, I mean, I was watching the goals again. Uh, this evening and yeah. you know that first goal let i've always loved mcphee when have i ever criticized mcphee he's the best he's the best he's give him a contract he's a genius well um, I, I, I want a statue to him he looks like a next, wizard he's a wizard exact next to that dank statue i think it's going to look fantastic outside yeah. the whole thing um yeah. but but you know obviously brilliant uh training ground routine yeah um, and and as Thomas Frank said, as we all know, uh, he said in the post-match interview, you know, goals change momentum. And if you're going to score an early goal, that's important because it mm-hmm. sets the tempo. You know, the game against Spurs last season and the game against Chelsea this season, you know, you can be on top. But if you concede, it does it does unsettle the balance. And the game gets and, away um, from you. Yeah. It gets away from you. Exactly. So we were the ones, obviously, to score that early goal. And then we just we just ran with it, you know. Three goals in forty minutes is is absolutely insane, given our you know current goal scoring form, which is pathetic, frankly. Uh, to score three and fourteen just felt like a bit of a bit of a sort of volcanic eruption, didn't it? Like there was all yeah. this sort of pressure built up, and then it sort of exploded against poor old Brentford. Um, and I also it's, know, it's I nice know. to get rid of that hoodoo, isn't it? Like we yeah, keep, absolutely. Can't, yeah. Beat Brentford for ages, so yeah, yeah it's nice exactly. To get rid of that. No, it really is against a manager who we've sort of been linked with slightly in terms of bringing into Villa Park. I don't think that will happen, but we'll talk about the managerial situation later. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you can see from the reaction of the Villa players, I don't know if you've watched that one back, Frankie, but they yeah. were so delighted with that that routine pulling off. You saw you saw Buendia running off to Louise, who was who was doing his little Louise dance in front of the whole team. Yeah, you had half the other players reeling off with uh, with uh, Bailey, and then you had Cash and Young. I didn't if you noticed they both sprinted off to the, the staff on the touchline. So it was yeah. just a really nice sort of like um, like scene, really. Just everybody just loving loving that goal going in. Well, it, um, and then go then. It's an interesting one because Aaron. So I read in the Telegraph article this week about um, about is Gerard sacking and how Aaron Danks, it seems may have been. Um, kind of pushed to one side a little bit. Now, I've been saying for a long time that Aston Villa have a million coaches. Yeah. And they have an atta- a specialist attacking coach and we don't look coached. And, you know, I think it's a big moment for Aaron Danks. You know, if he has indeed been pushed to one side, considering Gerard did bring in an enormous team uh, staff, um, it's a big moment for him. Yeah. And yeah, same because- as for McPhee, who, know- again... Villa from set pieces have been rubbish. Up to January of last season, we were one of the top scoring teams from set pieces. I think it was us and Liverpool were the top or or City. It was one of the two. And then since January, it's just been downhill. And we've looked rubbish from set pieces. We look rubbish at defending them and attacking them this calendar year. But today it was like with that opening goal, it just felt a lot of a lot of thing. I don't know. A lot of the clouds just lifted immediately. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we don't know for sure whether because obviously Danks and McPhee were Smith's men, weren't they? They were brought in by by Dean Smith, Langer and Smith, um, probably. Yeah, Langer and Smith, but yeah. but obviously pre Gerrard anyway. Yeah. And it would be interesting to know if they've been perhaps, although they've been maintained, obviously, whether they've been sidelined by Gerrard with it his does, own. It staff does sound like in. that happened to Danks. That, that um, from what uh, I've read, yeah. May, maybe maybe McPhee was. Um, 
was sabotaging <laughs> Villa while <laughs> Gerard was there. And now he's like, oh, actually, I've got this this whole other playbook, which I'm just going to bring out, uh, which actually yeah. is pretty good. Um, so we'll see how that develops over the next few months. That'll be quite interesting to see. But but yeah, I mean, just obviously that was a set-piece goal. The second goal was equally well-worked, but an open yeah, yeah. play. Brilliant triangles between Young, Buendia and Bailey, who got the assist for Ings doing what Ings does. I mean, that's why that's what Ings does. You get the ball into the six-yard box, Danny Ings will score goals. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously what happened. Third goal, the penalty. Uh, can I just say, we don't see pens as often as you should for shirt-pulling in the box. Happens it's true, yeah, times. yeah. But it was so incredibly blatant. So a great call from the ref to call that one. And then that would that put the game to bed then after 40 minutes. Yeah. And then the fourth, as we talked about, brilliant work from Bailey. Watkins doing his absolute best to miss. <laughs> uh, but yeah. eventually, um, you know. And, it, it and also, good, good link up with Danny Ings. It was a one-two he had of things. And that was. was what we were seeing from the attackers today. Link-ups, confidence, transitions. Yeah, it, it looked like a... Like a it looked like a well-coached football team. Well, where, where's this <laughs> it, attack been all season? It's yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, exactly. Who who knew? You know, we have a talented squad. We've just been lacking a talented manager to coach them. That's yeah. that's what it felt like to me watching Villa play today. This is it. You're going to hear now. At some point, you're, gonna, you're probably going to hear, "Oh, look, these Villa players. Oh, finally, they've turned up and they've they've they're finally performing, and they didn't do it for Gerard." But it was. It has to have been Gerard's fault. It just does. Yeah. Like, it, we were terrible under him. Like, we were, that Fulham game was an absolute disgrace. And, like, even when we went on this four game unbeaten streak, we were still the worst team to watch in the world. Like, you know, every single neutral who watched it was like, yeah, that, that was a tough one for the neutrals. And we were terrible. And it was, and, and, and we never looked like a cohesive unit that could do anything going forward. Suddenly, you just play a double pivot. You let Douglas Louise free. You play a big, strong CDM, and then suddenly the the front four just looks like the, the, liberate. I keep saying it, liberated. It, it does. It does make make it incredibly. If anything, I'm 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 almost more frustrated now that Gerard didn't make the blindingly obvious ta- tactical decisions um, sooner. Because yeah. we wouldn't be in this mess that we're currently in. I mean, as you say, like in midfield, for weeks and weeks, we looked overrun. We looked far too narrow. Uh, and he was playing the same players. You know, the, the, the whole definition of insanity, repeating things which aren't working yeah. uh, and, and hoping for different results. And that's what we were doing week in, week out. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't... I, I like I like McGinn. I think as a personality and as a player, he's proven himself as a player too. Oh, Let's not completely, yeah. That he that he's great, but he needs Good some man. time off. He he needs yeah. some time off. He doesn't deserve, based on current form, to be playing for Aston Villa. Um, and Gerard well, starting, whatever, starting at least. Well, start, yeah, well, start, starting, of course, yeah, starting. Yeah. Of course, sorry, that's what I meant. But um, but Gerard, for whatever reason, we can only assume just based on Arons because he had made him captain and felt like it, uh, that would be a indication of of that being a poor decision on his behalf to make him captain, kept playing him through these periods of bad form. It just made absolutely no sense. No. And, I, and I, I'm, just, I'm just curious as well, if you talk about Ings and Watkins, because this debate has been rumbling longer than the, you know, than, you know, I don't know, the Brexit debate. Ings and Watkins, can they play <laughs> together? Yeah. Um, do you think that, that from here on out, that 4-2-3-1, Watkins actually playing out wide? Yeah. Is, is where we should 
go forward I, with it? Because it, it, it seems to yeah. play to the strength of the squad to me. I mean, to be honest, I think it probably is. And I think at least kind of in the striker's position, we're quite well served in that, you know, if one of them gets an injury, well, at least Watkins can move into the centre, you know, or Cameron Archer can come in. So that, that centre-forward position is probably quite well served. But yes, I think Watkins, as he used to do at Brentford, maybe he just needs to stay out wide at the moment. If we're going to try and accommodate Ings and Watkins in some way, just do what we did today, stick them out wide. Mm. Um, and uh, And he scored. You know, so you know, not a bad, bad start at all. But uh, you do, you do look at Villa's balance at the top, at the top, and you think we sold Traor. Well, Traor is on loan, sold Trezeguet and sold El Ghazi, and I still look at it now, and I think I do understand why we went for Ishmael Asar, which apparently Gerard yeah. um, got uh, pulled back on. Which, in fairness, we weren't there. We don't know what Sar's agent was saying, so maybe there's like legitimate reasons for not signing him, but. We do look, you know, if Watkins were to get injured or Bailey were to get injured, having pace out wide now looks like a bit of a... That could catch us out. So in January, I could well imagine that's a position that we maybe target if we're, um, you know, if we're to strengthen our squad in in any way. Um, But yeah, yeah, I I think Watkins, stick him out wide and just start Ings every game and Mm -hmm. let's see what happens. Because, I mean, let's, let's, let's just give it a try. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel like um, for me, Ings and Archer would be interchangeable in this formation. He's played there before for Brentford and um, and rotate players like when DMAB could play out there as well. So um, so yeah, we'll 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 sort of have to have to see on that one going forward. But I think so. I think it'd be important to mention you know Aaron Danks in a bit more detail because oh, yeah. you know he's 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 sort of emerge now as 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 this sort of temporary manager while we while we continue the this hunt um uh, for for the replacement so you know can i just say it's great to hear a brummy voice giving post match interviews again you know uh yeah. it's just nice to hear a throwback um, to smith in it yeah so yeah i mean first of all it's great to hear a a, a brummy voice giving post match interviews again you know like Dean. De- dean smith um and yeah. and you know listening to him after the game he seems like a genuinely decent bloke you know he's uh, he seemed really humble with giving credit to the, the coaching staff. So for those that kind of don't really know much about him, um, he's from Solihull, like us, Frankie, me and you went to Solihull College. Footballing Stones hotbed. throw away from where you went to the school, of course. Yeah. Uh, could very well have been jostling with him at the bar to be served at Rosie's, Frankie, back in 2006. I think I did. I think I elbowed him to one side. Um, <laughs> if he played football in this area, I'm certain I would have played him at some point. Can't, yeah. I have to have done. Yeah. Um, I taught him everything he knows. He was like, that lad, <laughs> that lad, the pace he's showing down the wing, my goodness, just the, the, the way he's waiting for the ball to come into the right area. And today he said to Leon Bailey, he said, there was one lad I played when I was seven years old on an 11-a-side pitch, because that's how things work in the UK. We play 11-a-side pitches when we're seven years of age. Crazy. <laughs> um, no. Um, well, Leon Bailey's, got a, Leon Bailey's got a picture of you on his wall. He does. Yeah. he does. Yeah, he's painted a mural of me, I think. Um, <laughs> and people always go, "Is that James Blunt?" He's like, "No, it's not James Blunt. It's Frankie McGuire, for God's sake." Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, Solly Hall. So you know, Graham Potter, Chelsea manager, Jack yeah. Grealish, the world's greatest football player. Um, but well, second behind um, Ollie Watkins. And uh, yeah, and then you've got a uh, Karen Carney. You know, England international. It's a hot. It's a hot bed of talent, Frankie. Uh, one of the top pundits now, and then me and you as the Aston Villa 
uh, you know, 11 podcast, 11 Aston Villa podcasts, and we're the 11th most popular. So, you know, we're, we're, it's a hotbed of how such a small geographical area can produce such talented individuals. I'll never know. It's, it's, I'll it's, never it's, know. it's, a, it's a mystery. But then after he, he decided to, to leave the green passages of Sully Hall, he went to become a youth coach at uh, West Brom. Uh, he actually worked with the England under-20 team that won the World Cup a few years ago, um, which was, of course, headed up by Steve Cooper, our manager at Nottingham Forest. And then he got bumped up to the under-21s and worked with the likes of Jude Bellingham uh, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, I think uh, Eze as well, who's now at Palace, he, that sort of um, group of players. And then briefly, he went to Belgium to work with Vincent Company at Anderlecht when he was manager there mm. uh, before being brought over by Dean Smith after Richard O'Kelly and John Terry left. And he's, mm. as we mentioned, kept on by Gerard to be one of our 8 million coaches uh, at Villa Park. So, um, is, you know, that's his, that's his background. A, it's a fantastic moment for him, absolutely. Um, and, you know, whatever happens to him going forward, whether the new management decides to keep him on or not, it's just, it's, um, it, you know, he'll always have this day Mm. And he'll always have this moment where, you know, Villa were in a a bad spot and we desperately needed a result of any kind today. Because if not, you know, we'd be potentially bottom three, looking potentially at the bottom of the league. Um, and so to get a result like this, a statement result, um, and it, it sends a message to whatever prospective manager might come in that Villa actually are quite a talented team and um, far better than what they've been showing for the last year. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, full credit to Aaron Danks and, um, Nanny McPhee. It's, it's been, uh, it was a, <laughs> it was a, um, really impressive day. Absolutely. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome back everybody. Now it is time for this. Things are heating up like the first 10 minutes of Aston Villa versus Brentford at Villa Park on Sunday. On this, the All Villa No Filler podcast, as I ask the spicy question. And today, George, I'm asking you, it's the obvious question, isn't it? Who do you want as the new Villa manager? I mean, I've been saying it for for literally years and years and years, Frankie. Aaron Danks uh, <laughs> should be the... And it's incredible I, that it's I, only I've been, now. I've but... been shutting you down. In the, every time we meet in the pub, I'm saying to you, would you shut up about Aaron Danks, for God's sake? Exactly. He's a, he's a coach at like West Bromwich Albion Academy. Why do you keep saying you know, Aaron Danks? <laughs> it's like five years ago. What's wrong with you? I could see I could see his talent, you know, when 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 I was, I sort of bumped into him in Touchstone. Uh, in, uh... Touchstone? <laughs> <laughs> Touchwood Court, you mean, in Solihull. <laughs> Touchstone Studios. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, they're filming yeah. one day. You know. you know what I mean. I bunched it, but Touchwood, of course, in Solihull. I bumped into him back in 2006. And, and I knew from that moment on he was he was destined to be full-time Villa manager. Uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, you know, great start for him. And I, I obviously we all hope that he continues to drum up wins for the Villa while this search... This odyssey for a new manager uh, continues. I mean, first of all, before I get into who I think and actually want to be uh, Villa manager, it's all felt slightly farcical in the few days that um, 
we've been searching, at least on social media. Again, I take everything on social media with a pinch of salt and even what reporters say, potentially they might not be right, despite how esteemed that they are. Um, but teams like Pochettino and Tuchel, kind of the you reach for the stars appointment. Not happening. Yeah. Um, not happening. Uh, perhaps inevitably, you know, they've ruled themselves out by the looks of things. And now we've got to the point that kind of even Sporting's coach, uh, Ruben Amarim, who is really highly regarded. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss him at all. Uh, but, but you know, he's not as well known as those two. He doesn't appear to seem keen. Um, I, yeah. I've heard, I've heard reports and rumours that maybe it's because it's during the season. I mean, that's always a bad time to recruit a manager. Look at Steven Gerrard. Um, you know, so so that could be a reason why he might not be so keen. So now we're sort of rattling through <laughs> yeah. the list you know uh Perslow's there just sort of scratching them off his little sheet of paper you know. yeah it's got um, down to George Alinsky and Frankie McGuire <laughs> takes yeah. a deep sigh oh God, yeah, exactly the phone the phone should be ringing literally any second now <laughs> he calls you George who, who would you, if you could sign a player who would it be Emmanuel Abouet Abouet yes yeah, we've I mean, talked about this before week. Um, me and Frankie uh, back probably about five years ago now we we played a game of football manager where we were sort of joint manager we made decisions on the pitch which um, who we manager off Hull Hull City yeah. Hull City um, and it all sort of fell apart a bit but um, yeah. yeah hey still we can forget we about that we, we didn't talk for three years after that no we didn't it's, it's only really the podcast that has rejuvenated our friendship <laughs> yeah. um, but but now you know we we linked to Sean Dyche Um I'm not going to say. It. Listen, I don't want to. I don't want to criticize Sean Dyche. He, he did genuinely do a great job at, at Burnley. Yeah, he did, but yeah. but yeah. you know, so I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss him at all. I know there are a lot of Villa fans who think that perhaps that's a bit of a um, a, a jokey link, but it's not really. I think Dyche, he's a good. He is fundamentally a good manager, and it would be at least quite funny to see how him and McGinn um, get on at Villa Park, given that sort of exchange they had oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the touchline about the coat or something. Yeah. Um, oh, rubbish know, caught me. Rubbish, <laughs> yeah, rubbish, mate. Something like that. And I think even Villas Boas has been linked. Although, again, you know, Morgan Sanson will probably be happy with that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of potentially realistic coaches, Frankie, I've got to say, I'm leaning towards your suggestion of uh, Brendan Rogers, even though now, after mm. Leicester won today, that link seems further and further away. But he seems like someone that could potentially be um, be keen for the mm. move, uh, and and he is as he's proving again at Leicester, given their you know given how poor they've started, he is turning things around mm. uh, at Leicester City now, and he is a proven Premier League manager, um, yeah, which is, I yeah. think which I think is what a lot of Villa fans want to see, um, given that Gerard seems to be a bit of a well, obviously he was a gamble and, and it proved it to not work out. I think. Villa fans would like to see someone who's at least managed in the Premier League before mm. to help us given our current situation. Um, I think Roger seems to be someone who is respected. Yeah, I think he would be respected in the dressing room. He's a he's a proven manager, as I said. He's won things with with Leicester, you know, the FA Cup and, and all the rest of it. He's managed with Liverpool before. Um, he's been a coach at uh, you know Ch- Chelsea, I think Reading as well. He did they won things up in in Scotland with Celtic. So he's experienced, he's skilled, he's gifted, um, and I think he would get the most out of the players that we have at the moment, and and be a big enough name to attract the players that we need in January and mm. uh, and the summer. So for me, it might not be the most inspiring 
of uh, of managers. I think given the, as you say, the, the the initial links of Pochettino and Tuchel, which were always probably going to sort of fall away as they have done. But yeah. I think he seems to me the most realistic and for me exciting manager that we could possibly get. Yeah, I think Brendan Rodgers for me, I think he'd probably come in and play a, a style that would not be dissimilar at all to what we saw against Brentford. No. I think he'd probably be, you know, uh, well-balanced, um, fast attacking transitions. And I think he'd probably suit Villa. I think, I, I think in my head, if he was ever Villa manager, I think we'd get top half. Mm. And I think we'd play good football. Um, and he, I think he'd just be a good fit at Villa. I, I just, I do. Um Fair enough. I think there's probably people who listen to this who may don't agree. And, you know, there was a good argument. I, I met um, spoke to Paul Webb the other day um, from the ABFC London Lions on a on the post-Fulham, post-Gerrard uh, sacking um, interview. And he said that he thinks that it might be, you might need a break after the Leicester job. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. You know, yeah, maybe, you know, it could be quite burnt out and that Dean Smith took the Norwich job too quickly last season. But, you know, I, I do think, it, you know, coming into Villa could potentially revitalise him as well. Um, you know, he'd have a board that clearly has money to spend, which Leicester doesn't look like it has at the moment. Um, and uh, he's coming into a strong squad. Um, so, I, yeah, I, th- I think Rodgers would be a good fit if it were possible. I like Ange uh, at uh, Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, he's... His background is quite interesting, um, as was Arsene Wenger's when he took over in '96, '7 at Arsenal. You know, um, you know, he, he, he's a manager who he's Australian. Well, he's Greek Australian. Did uh, an amazing job in Australia. Did a really good job in Japan, um, and has done a really good job uh, at Celtic, and, and has introduced a culture. He's he's a, he's a breath of fresh air, I would say, at Celtic. Um, particularly after sort of uh, they lost the, the title in that one season to Gerard Rangers. I don't know. I feel like Andrew's just come in and um, made them a tactically astute side and uh, as a person is quite appealing. And I do wonder if maybe if, if somebody like him came into Villa, it would be an, it would, he'd be an attacking manager and he might just be a bit of a breath of fresh air after the mm. Gerard era of somebody that we can all kind of get behind a manager that we can like and who can inspire and have a quite interesting and intelligent approach and somebody who has an interesting background. He's probably more of a gamble than Brendan Rodgers. I think if Brendan Rodgers came into Villa, I think we'd, I, I really believe we could get top half this season. But if Ange came in, I don't really know, but I am confident in him as a man who seems an intelligent coach that he could work out Villa in the Premier League. But... I do wonder if the board would be quite hesitant about it, considering you know the red the that Gerard came in from Rangers. I do think things like that could come into play, mm, possibly. Um, yeah. So they're but, the two but, names that stick out to me at the moment. Amarim, obviously. I mean, I I don't know if about enough about him. He's clearly a very talented coach. Is he gettable? It doesn't look like it. But I mean, Amarim. Would would be the riskiest of the three, in my opinion. I think with with Ange, okay. You t- I mean, you talk about um, 
anxieties in terms of bringing a manager down from Scotland. But let's not forget, you know, he he is he's an experienced in terms of years coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so he could draw on that, obviously, uh, if he, you know, it, it seems to, to me, it seems like quite a loose link. I, I can't see that one uh, coming off at all personally, but, but of the names mentioned, sure. Um, he, 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 you know, he's got, a, he's got more years in the tank than Amarim. Um, and I worry that if things went wrong with Amarim, he wouldn't have the experience to, to turn it round. Also, I think Amarim prefers playing a three-five-three. Three, uh, sorry, uh, three, three five three, two. Four, sorry, three five um, three four three. I think is his sort of formation. Yeah, yeah which, which which I again, if you look at, I mean, at least if we look at today's result, doesn't seem to suit our current personnel. Um, which might you know is, is, is something to think about, perhaps. Um, I, look, I'd be excited if Hammerim turned up. I'd be excited. I think. But yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with be. you. I think it's it's one that could go either way. Either it's inspired. I, I would, Pochettino yeah. style higher, or it's one that just this is really not working, and we need to go back to Aaron Banks immediately. Yeah, well, well, I don't with with, with Amarim as well. Let's not forget, like Gerard was an expensive risk which failed. Yeah, Amarim is an expensive risk. He he, abs- I think for me, he'd be absolutely the most expensive of all the possible names that have been linked with us. And I I know we have very very wealthy owners, but would they be prepared? to do that again. I don't know. I, I wonder whether they might be leaning towards going for more tried and trusted managers. Yeah. Um, in, in, in terms of who I think, you know, Brett Rogers would be who I want, given the names I've we've mentioned, excluding all the kind of pie in the sky uh, um, links that we've seen over the past couple of days. Yeah. Rogers seems to me the most, the most, I'd be the most keen on that, I think. Um, and, but I don't think, I don't think that's likely. I think it's particularly given Leicester's upturn in form, I would yeah. imagine that their owners would be less keen to dispense of him and would perhaps want more in the way of compensation or something like that. So he could be, he's getting pricier by the week, basically, yeah. uh, Rogers. Um, and also given his, maybe this is a daft thing to say, but given his comments about Villa's decision to sack Gerard, obviously Gerard was... Uh, Rogers is captain. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's like a personal connection there, which makes him less keen, perhaps, on coming uh, to Villa. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. That's, that's what I mean. It's. It's. Yeah, I'm well, just. I'm speculating the, here. He the, seemed. He seemed quite defensive of, of Gerard, basically. Well, the, the fact, I think. I think he's always going to defend Gerard because obviously they're going to be friends from their days in Liverpool. But the hidden factor here is Aston Villa behind the scenes. You know, the Perslow, Langer, a lot of Villa fans, or podcasts at least I've heard, have, um, there's been a lot of anger towards Perslow, I think, in recent times. And I think justifiably, I think for sure, the certain decisions that he's made, and I think the Gerrard hiring was probably Perslow. Yeah. Look, Aston Villa's owners for the last 20 years, well, post-Doug Ellis, have been absolutely horrendous. So our owners in the last five years saved us. Perzo is owed a massive debt of gratitude for that, the post-Tony, Dr. Tony era and, you know, Edens and Sawiris. He's done a lot of great stuff, Perzo, and could continue to do that. But I think he's a man who does marketing. I think that's what he is. He's a marketing man. He's a, he's a man yeah. who makes us money with sponsorship. And I think that if he's involved with football decisions, he needs to step back from that. That's the way it's coming across at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And maybe there needs to be a, be a bit of an overhaul in that. And I do worry, you know, how people within football talk to each other. You know, they're on it. They're on the, it's, it's a different world to what we're aware of. You know, they talk to each other, you know, Gerard, Rogers, all these people. And they're hearing like, what's Persley like? And it's 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 a genuine question right now. What what is he like? And um, obviously, I'm very supportive of this board. Um, I'm not too eulogistic because you know we we went through five great years under Learner and then it all went downhill. That could happen again. I hope yeah. it doesn't. Um, but uh, I certainly think there's certain things that have happened on the footballing side in the last kind of year and a bit that have made me question a little bit the involvement of some individuals who I think maybe should be focusing more on the marketing side and the, the improvements to the stadium and the badge and all that kind of stuff and leaving the football inside maybe to somebody else. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, well, let's have a look at the kind of upcoming fixtures we've got, starting with uh, Newcastle as our, our next game. Obviously, really difficult um, game, that one up in Newcastle. They've had a really good result against Spurs. They're in the top four now, Newcastle. Um, but given how we played against Brentford, how, how do you see that one? Well, to be honest, like, um, you could, obviously, we shouldn't get carried away. You know, if you remember correctly, we beat Southampton 4-0 back in March and then Leeds 3-0 and felt like things were going onwards and upwards and then it all kind of fell apart again. So, you know, look, you know, we could very easily go up there and lose 3-0 and suddenly we're all back to square one. But um, I, I definitely think with, uh, we're now playing... Today we played a format against Brentford, played a formation that worked and it played to the strengths of all of our players, liberated them. I think going up to Newcastle now, surely they've got to go up there with a lot of confidence after that Brentford result. Don't get don't get me wrong, Brentford. I don't think are a good side, and you look at a lot of their recent results. They're not they're not great. Mm. They got battered at Newcastle five one not long ago. Um, I think they're 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 a solidly mid table side, Brentford. So to be honest, four nil is a good is, is a fantastic result, but Newcastle did beat them five one, but. I've been looking at Newcastle and they play a 4-3-3, right? They beat Tottenham, again, another really impressive result. Yeah. Almiron is inspired by Jack Grealish as a brute. <laughs> yeah. And has gone on to score. He's turned into new, uh, the Paraguay and Erling Haaland. But the thing is, like, um, Newcastle play a 4-3-3. And if you look at their players, they're not that good. They genuinely aren't. That, they're not a better side, better squad than Aston Villa. So you see last week, you go, all these kind of like expert pundits going, Aston Villa, well, Ger- what was Gerard supposed to do with that squad? You know, not a lot of them said that, but I did see at least one say that. Well, I'll tell you what, Gerard could have done what, he, what we did against Brentford, just players like that, as we've all been screaming out for, for the last million years. Mm. Um, and you look at Newcastle, and I said it earlier this season, I said, you watch Newcastle under Eddie Howe. They're not a, the most talented players in the world. They've got, you know, Guimarães in midfield, who's excellent. But otherwise, jo- Joe Ellington, Joe Willock, Miguel Almiron, um, you know, uh, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, Dan Byrne. These are not like... 
the type of players you look at and go, they're going to win the Champions League. No, no definitely, definitely not. I mean, what I would say, there's a few names there that I would, I would say, like Jolinton, if you ask any Newcastle fan, they'll say he's just like, you know, the second coming or something. He has really improved, Jolinton. Exactly. And that's management. Eddie yeah. Howe yeah, yeah, yeah. got the best yeah, out of him. Yeah, yeah. I know. And I know. you have to, pre- and Eddie Howe came into Newcastle at the same time Gerald came into Villa. And if you compare the two jobs, Eddie Howe got the best out of a group of, well, you know, some Newcastle fans might debate that, but as far as I can tell, since January, Newcastle have been excellent. Yeah. And that's because a coach mm-hmm. a coach has been intelligent enough to know what the strengths are and play to those strengths. And um, I think next week we will see two teams who are trying to play to the strengths of their both their players. You have to say Newcastle are the favourites yeah. because they're in form, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're at home, and um, we're going there having played one really good game, but, you know, it's... If things are going against us early on, it might not work out. But I will say this. The last time Newcastle played against a 4-2-3-1 at home was Bournemouth, right? And Bournemouth, again, I would argue, they're not the best first 11 in the league. No. They might even be the weakest, mm. but they're, they're, they're kind of overachieving at the moment. But they drew 1-1 in mid-September. So 4-2-3-1 can cause them problems. Yeah. And I would be confident that if all our players are at it as they were today against um, Brentford, that we can absolutely cause Newcastle problems. Absolutely, it's it's a it will be a very intriguing game. I think I think it'll be one of those ones that you'd even as a as a neutral, if you kind of were aware of kind of how team how the teams are playing and particularly how Villa played today, you'd yeah. want to keep your eye on in terms of this could be a. An interesting game. Just watch it turn like be a really boring nil-nil now. But um, I think I think I think it's got it's got the it's got the potential to be a really good game between, as you say, two teams on paper who, um, yeah, I think Newcastle on paper actually do have a a, de- a a very decent side. I mean, if you talk particularly with their new signings, you know, Gumaris and Botman and and Botman, yeah. Nick Pope, like they 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 have. Alex Isaac as well. Isaac. I mean, I don't know if it, will yeah. he be fit for. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's not play. He didn't play today. No, but, I don't but, think. But I mean, Isaac. Yeah. He, I mean, again, very sort of highly rated Swedish international. Um. So, yeah. It, it, I think. I think it will be a really interesting lineup. I, I. We'll go into it now with a bit of confidence. Obviously, after the Brentford game. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Newcastle do have a very vociferous kind of home support they'll be up for it as well um so i'll be it'll be it'll be an interesting game and i mean looking at our um run of fixtures now beyond newcastle Hmm. it doesn't really get easier um which is another reason why i'm pretty sure we should have sacked gerard weeks ago because we would have probably accumulated more points than we have done against slightly more beatable opponents but um crystal palace game crystal palace game was well to be honest the bournemouth game was the one i thought we should have gone but yeah um, yeah yeah, crystal palace was the game i came away from going like he has to go yeah exactly and and that was weeks ago so so that's a shame but we are where we are but we've got newcastle away then we've got uh united at home, who of course we always beat. Um, then we've got, uh, <laughs> then we've got uh, Brighton away, who under uh, Zerb sort of, uh, you know, he's struggling a bit, but they, you know, that will we'll be away from home. So that's that's a tricky encounter. Then we've got Liverpool, okay, not in the best, the greatest of form, but you know, they're Liverpool, and then Spurs away, and that takes us through to, to December. So, um, 
Mm. Yeah, I mean that that Tough. obviously after Brighton is the last game before the World Cup break. I might I just add. So um so you know really actually we're just looking ahead to Newcastle, United and Brighton. It's it's not you know it's not easy. It's not easy. And I but mm. it's a bit cliche no games in the Premier League are clearly. But um but but yeah, you'd you'd hope by the Brighton game um we'll have a few more points in the bag. Um and and that will sort of hopefully sort of tee us up to go into the world cup break um you know yeah with a greater idea of of what needs to be done i guess when we come back oh completely and it's important to go into that world cup break not looking over our shoulder at the relegation zone for sure and that's why that brentford result was so important because otherwise because again as i say it suggests to managers who might come in that we there's there's a team here if you can just get them going and um I will mention, actually, that I've just seen whilst this podcast is in progress that The Telegraph have released an exclusive article from Jason Burt saying that Aston Villa received Ruben Amarin boost with a release clause reduced to £10 million. So, George, that's chump change to you. (laughs) Uh, um, Yes, of course. With the money I'm raking uh, in from this podcast. Yeah. Please sponsor somebody. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, so. I think it, I think previously I'd read that if we were to get Amarim, we would have to spend a record-breaking amount for a manager to come to a club. Now I think it's understandable if it's you know if you're trying to get Pep Guardiola, you pay a record amount. You're trying to get Jurgen Klopp, pay a record amount. Ruben Amarim, I'm not sure you pay a record amount to bring him in, but. With it reduced to 10 million quid, the ambition of our owners, you know, you pay that sort of money from players all the time and managers ultimately end up having, in in some cases, longer legacies and become more important. Mm-hmm. So do you think it might... Oh, it's, well, it I feels mean, to me like that might be more realistic now than I previously thought. Yeah, well, you know, um, obviously... Paying less money in terms of compensation makes it, if that is the case, makes it makes it much more uh, achievable for us to get. If if that if that is a manager that we've really sort of zeroed in on now as the one we want, then that's that's good news. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like um, the quicker it's wrapped up, the the better. Um, yeah. I think he will need obviously time to work with the the squad ahead of the World Cup break, frankly. Yeah. Um, the World Cup obviously isn't ideal. It doesn't come in as an, at an ideal time um, for us, given our current situation, that a manager's got so little so work with them before they all jet off to, to Qatar. Not all of them, obviously, but um, a lot of them. So, yeah, um, so, uh, yeah I, I think, I think, I think, we have to wrap this up quickly and if that that is the case then that makes it easier for us to to do that so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see but i do feel there's a few more twists and turns in this whole managerial pursuit yet to be honest yeah i think yeah uh, like i say with ruben amarim i i just don't know well enough but i do know that he's done a a really good job at Sporting Lisbon. Um, I think they won the Portuguese league for the first time in a very, very like two decades mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Under him, uh, he's clearly imprinted something on them. They beat Tottenham recently in the Champions it League. Did, but that's then again, right. yeah. Steven Gerrard did 
well in Europe with Rangers, so I don't want to get too carried away with that. But um, yeah, uh, it's one of them that I think in my head, I'm like, either it turns out to be an inspired hire like Southampton when they brought Pochettino in, or Mm. um, it doesn't. Uh, (laughs) In which case, um, I think they should just look to Solihull, the hotbed of football, uh, get me, you, and Aaron Danks in. Um, And then within one game, me and you would be like posted online, the Aston Villa corner flag, (laughs) club announcement. Yeah, exactly. George Zielinski and Frankie Boyer, after starting Emmanuel Abue up front (laughs) and losing 17-0 to uh, Brentford, have uh, been released from their position. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it could it could go that way. I I, I mean, if I just say one one more thing about the whole yeah. uh, managerial situation and where we currently sit in the table, which I think is 14th now, but we're 17th until we spanked Brentford. Um, yeah. A lot of people I've listened to a couple of podcasts, Villa podcasts, that have said, you know, it feels like we're in the position that we were um, in 2015-16. Um, no, no. Which I, I which I don't which I don't agree with. Um, Complete overstatement. That's a massive overstatement. It, it is it is a huge overstatement, and I think as well, particularly given um, given the, the the current layout of the league in terms of literally you win one game and you're shooting up the table. Yeah. In the same it's a bit like the championship at the moment. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's so tight. We're you know we're not we're not exactly cut adrift, are we? Um, yeah. So you know, I, I just I just wanted to kind of like. I feel like it's important to stress that I, I don't think it's, you know, alarm bell should be ringing necessarily from no, where we are at the no. moment. Um, I think it's a strong squad. It's a 2015, 16. Yeah. We had a terrible squad. We had a terrible squad. We did. Absolutely. There we, was... had an, we had an owner who publicly said he wanted to give up on the team. Yeah, it was, it's a di- completely different situation. So yeah, I mean, it's not great to be where we are at the moment, particularly given our kind of relatively lofty preseason ambitions and hopes, but, but this season is absolutely salvageable. And I really hope that, um, you know, if it yeah. is Amrim or, or any other manager that comes in, frankly, they, they you know, they it, it, it can really rejuvenate the squad and we can maybe hit the heights of 10th. <laughs> Who knows? The, the race for 10th place. The race for 10th place. So, you know, I'm, I'm after, after today's result, obviously I'm in a good mood, but, you know, it's, it's, it's still a, a very, very, very open season. And um, yeah, it, it's still, it's still yeah. something to kind of like, look forward to I, th- I guess yeah we're not getting carried away after the result of course and you know there will be tougher days ahead but it's certainly a result we desperately needed and it's one that suggests to any prospective manager this is a team that is talented and this is definitely not 2015-16 because I don't think John McGinn's going to get pictured in a hotel room doing laughing gas so <laughs> that's true you know? and if it and, and if it does turn into some sort of relegation Same. scrap um, we do actually have the players uh, to 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 compete in, in in that eventuality because you know we've done it before with a lot of these players Mings yeah. McGinn um, who else was there Watkins was Watkins no Watkins Conser was, was there, was there um, during that season um, you know so so you know I, I'm, whatever happens you know we'll be a competitive Premier League team which is more than I can say for that 2015-16 squad. Okay, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I've been your host, George Zielinski. Catch you later, Frankie. Super Aaron Danks. Super Austin McPhee. 
and Super George Zielinski. Catch you in a bit, George. The Holy Trinity. Uh, and it is goodbye from me. Uh, we will be back again to uh, review the Newcastle game. But until then, come on, Super Aston Villa. Thank you.